I am not complete here. There is much more. But there is no more time and no more space. And I have journeys to take, ships to name, and crews. Toni Morrison from the Black Book, the, the foreword to the Black Book, first published in 1974, a collection of works by black authors. I think about that and, and the promise of hope that there's something else, that there's something beyond where we are right now. As a straight white dude, I often feel so ineligible, so insufficient to meet and discuss and talk politics in this moment because I am not complete here. But Morrison always had that moment where she acknowledged and raised and amplified black voices. And I hope we get a lot more of that, even in her passing. You already know the news. You already know that there's gun violence, there's racism, the president inciting white supremacy, and all of us trying to pretend like it's not happening. I don't want to talk about the news that you already know. The question that I want to address is what do we do about it now? I was I was pacing around the room before the show tonight. Alana, our producer, and I were talking about this. Uh, I was pacing outside the room, thinking about what I was going to say, thinking about who would be here tonight, and listening to the storm brew outside. And I was thinking about how much I need this conversation in my life, and how I hope it fills some need in yours whether it's something that makes you smile or something that gives you hope or something that is a new idea that you can take to wherever you're going. Or if it's just the idea that we're in this storm together and this provides a little bit of shelter, I hope that you get a little bit from it. And it reminded me as I was pacing and if you've been here at Local 16, you know that there are some curtains outside the room where we have this conversation on a regular basis. By the way, regular Tuesdays here, 16th and U Street, wonderful Afghan food, reasonably priced drinks, etc. I was thinking about how much I needed this space and how I was pacing back and forth outside the curtain, just outside the curtain. And again, it reminded me, please forgive the reference. I know what you're going to say. Read another book. It reminded me of the room of requirement. I'm pacing, I'm thinking, and, and resistance to me always sounds trite. I, I know that that's, that's very much in vogue these last two and a half, three years. And it doesn't feel to me like this is quite Dumbledore's army in here that I'm trying to make either. It's something else. That's not what we're all about. Here's what we're all about. Being frank, being emotional, being vulnerable with each other. Again, if you're going to make the mistake of having a straight white dude at the center of this conversation, make him someone who can talk about the vulnerability, about how this makes us all feel. Because most of us feel really bad all the time. 
And what do we do with that? If not try to share it and therefore make it a little bit lighter. It's easy for me. I feel like if this were a video game, and we'll talk about video games because apparently the president thinks that uh, video games are what causes violence. If if this were a video game, being a, a, a white dude is playing it on the easiest setting. I don't have the challenges that so many other people face. And so my responsibility, my obligation in that moment is to take that opportunity and say, I am going to take it onto my shoulders. And again, that's why I try to have this conversation. I try to be as open and honest and vulnerable as possible. I try to be open for those of us who need it, aware of the folks around me, to their human needs. I talk a lot about hospitality in this conversation because I feel like that's the fundamental purpose that we that we strive for here. You know, the, the I've tried to get to uh, appreciate the, the people who are doing the serving and the and the, uh, the the work behind the scenes here at this place at Local 16. I've tried to acknowledge where they are and what they need, and I've tried to remind myself constantly that we can if we can respect those basic human needs that is foundational that is what we need to get to the next step where we talk about something higher in the pyramid emotional needs actualization even if you didn't study maslow you know what i'm talking about when i say that you have to be full and warm and comfortable before we could talk about whether you're satisfied with your job. And if you're miserable every day because of that job, maybe you can't even appreciate the meal that you just had. It goes up and down that pyramid. What I, what I at first thought was microphone interference here in the room, I listened and I realized it was thunder. How small our perspective. I was worried about this show. I was worried about this conversation. And yet outside, how large the world. This, this almost feels indulgent, so please forgive me a second piece of, of poetry after reading Morrison earlier. One of my favorites, Gerard Manley Hopkins, a Jesuit. He was speaking about the numinous power of the natural world talking about lightning and thunder. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Why do men then now not wreck his rod? Generations trod, have trod, have trod, and all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil, and wears man's smudge and shares man's smell, the soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. Anyone who's near me right now in Local 16 can tell you there is a smell. It's, it's summer in Washington, D.C. But the idea that even the, the, the act of putting on a shoe limits us from appreciating the natural world, 
The idea then taken to its logical extension that me trying to have this conversation in this room, I'm unaware because the blo- the curtains block out the sun and the 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 walls prevent me from hearing the thunder as clearly. I have the luxury of not knowing that there is a thunderstorm outside. And if you've braved that thunderstorm to get here and have this conversation with me tonight, I am very grateful. The natural world can be ruined by humanity. And that's why I want to talk about mental health and gun violence. I've already talked a little bit about mental health because I want to talk about the vulnerability that's required. We have to get real about strength. The president and those who support him, they want you to believe that they have a monopoly on strength. Same goes for those frustrated incel boys who got told that the world owes them everything, but then they get violent when they don't get their way. They don't. They can't imagine the real strength of tenderness. They can't imagine the power of kindness, the political will that comes with charity and hospitality. This political moment is going to be defined by whether we allow kindness into ourselves, into what we choose to believe in and vote for and support. This is also what I'm trying to create here in this space, this conversation that I'm having here at the table, because I believe in the value of this conversation, the value of sitting down and talking about the things that are hard. And no, I'm not going to rehash every single vulgarity of the news recently. You know that we just had two awful mass shootings in the last few days. And I'm reminded because I'm never far from people having a celebration when I'm here at this place at Local 16. It's it's better than having the having this conversation in the studio because right after I'm done here, someone's having a birthday party. I can hear people having a really great time right next door in a deck, by the way, a roof deck that does not have full protection from the elements. They are taking the risk, my friends. I believe in this space and this opportunity because we can't let ourselves get bogged down by that negativity. Here's some of the negativity. One of the first acts that this administration took was to make it easier for people with mental health problems to get guns. They said it violated their Second Amendment rights. This administration has no plan to get guns off the streets. Their advisors are talking about putting retired cops outside of schools and in malls. Because what we really need is a bunch of old people who used to be fully trained, armed to the teeth like everyone else is. This White House, make no mistake, inflames white supremacist rhetoric because this president believes that's a good bet for him, even if it's a bad bet for the country. And potentially most striking to me 
is that this White House is limiting law enforcement from looking at white supremacist domestic terrorism. When reporters have been following this story, they find that those in law enforcement don't know what to do because they know that if they follow the lead into the president's supporters, that that may paint a target on their back as law enforcement. How scary is that world? The one we're all in right now. But Republicans and even the former Vice President Joe Biden have taken the mantle of yet another trope to discuss this problem. Video games. It's video games, they say. Now, there's no evidence that I, I love video games, by the way, so forgive me this passion project. I have been an an insufferable, irredeemable nerd my entire life, and this is an area that I feel like I have some authority to speak on. There is no evidence that video games increase your likelihood to injure or kill someone with a gun. There's lots of evidence that having a gun in your home makes domestic violence more likely, that it makes suicide more likely, it makes accidental, much more likely makes suicide, makes accidental injury or death incredibly more likely. Having a gun in your possession, it doesn't stop violence, it doesn't make you a hero, and it doesn't make anyone else around you safer, because guess what? You don't know what you're doing. Now, I think about some of the video games that I really enjoy, like, like The Legend of Zelda, where the most realistic weapon is a bomb arrow my wife plays stardew valley where the 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 most violent thing about that is whatever creepy guy is in the the sub basement of the cave level that's trying to sell you weird magic shit. i don't know whether either of us have been radicalized by zelda and stardew valley but i somehow doubt it people just want to farm let them farm. I think about this in the context of mental health because these are obvious, stupid ideas. And yet this is the best we can come up with because what we've taken off the table, what we're never discussing, because the gun lobby is too powerful, because politicians are too beholden to it, because there's no political courage in Washington. What we have instead is a conversation where we're nibbling around the fringes. We're talking about mental health. It is insulting to people who deal with mental health on a regular basis to assume that everyone is too crazy to have a gun, and that's what we need to fix. Now, there are definitely some overlaps when it comes to mental health issues and gun violence. In particular, by the way, if you're really concerned about it, you should talk about the, the very tight Venn diagram of people who commit domestic violence and those who have gun violence in their lives, because that is nearly a circle. People have talked about closing the, the so-called boyfriend loophole, because women shouldn't be more vulnerable just because they're not married to some crazy person who's got a few extra guns in the house. That's not even on the table right now. We have eliminated so many avenues for mental health. And as someone who has been public in discussing the struggle that I've had about mental health, 
and who has inflicted the suffering of my own depression and anxiety and other issues on the people around me far more often than I would like to admit, I can tell you that the fact that I have not picked up a gun, despite, by the way, my aforementioned predilection for The Legend of Zelda, I haven't figured out a way to talk about this that isn't infuriated. And I know that anger, I've said this over and over in this conversation, it's not productive, it burns too hot, it leaves us spent, and we don't get to talk about what's next. But here's what's not next. Blaming those who have mental health issues and doing nothing to help them and doing everything to make sure they still have a gun. That's not just irresponsible. It's negligent. It's criminal. And one way that we could maybe get around this problem that very few people are talking about is rescind the liability shield that gun manufacturers have that they got during the the second George Bush administration. That law, less than 20 years old, not like it's been there forever, make sure that if the makers of a gun make something that's ready for a military field of battle, but sell it in Dayton, Ohio, or nearabouts, they're not responsible for making a weapon of war and selling it at Walmart. They're not. Maybe they should be. It is unconscionable to blame people who are suffering with mental health issues for the problems that we as a society don't want to face. Every country on earth has mental health problems. Every country on earth plays video games. You know, Japan has a lot of video games. They don't seem to have a problem with mass shootings. The difference is the gun. This is probably the issue that I am most radical on. I genuinely can't imagine why we even allow an individual right to own a firearm in this country. I think if you want one for your hunting or whatever else, you should be able to go to a place, pick one up, get the ammunition you need for the three deer you're going to try to hit that day, and that's it. And everyone else who has one in their hand is a criminal. I don't know why we don't live in that world. I think I know why. I think it's because we don't have any political courage. I think because 200 years ago, slaveholders decided that this was important, and we've decided that we care more about what they thought than about the problems that we face now. It scares me to the point where I can't sleep. The idea of having a family or or having a Some people talk about the idea that the debate on guns ended in Sandy Hook because once we were willing to accept the death of six-year-olds, we weren't really talking about it anymore. I don't want it to end the conversation. I do want it to end the violence. So instead of making it about Some straw man, mental health that you're not going to do anything to fix, video games, which, how stupid do you think we are? Or some other conversation. The president this week was talking about tying a, a gun restriction package to immigration, which, by the way, according to the manifesto of the shooter in El Paso, is exactly what he wanted. 
the president was capitulating to a white terrorist's demands. And that wasn't the head story in the next day's paper. We have gotten so desensitized that we can't even call these problems what they really are. This president came into office because he was adamant that President Obama, for example, wouldn't name the problem of radical Islamic terrorism. That was bullshit. But we also know that this president, because he's beholden to the interests and he believes that winking at white supremacists is better for him than pushing them away, he will not name this problem domestic white supremacy and domestic terrorism. It's important to name these problems. And I wish I could have the productive conversation of offering a better solution. You know, I did this yesterday. I was talking about a scar that I got on my on my left knee. And I was talking about how in the demolition and renovation, some, some work we're doing at our house, I'm genuinely overwhelmed because I think about demolition. I think about breaking down the system we have right now or the house I have right now. It's a lot of work. And there's catharsis there. We get to break down the walls. We get to, we get to tear up the carpet. And that's fun. And it gives me a shot of dopamine because it's, I don't know, because I get to rip things apart with a hammer and a crowbar. That's fun. But what's harder and what I'm admitting to you right now, again, being vulnerable, that I don't have an answer for, is trying to come up with a solution. I think in the long run, what's dispositive about this coming election, and I say this so many times in this, in this podcast, and I will say it once more at least, if you're not activated now, if you don't give a shit now, if you're not getting up off your couch and voting and volunteering and donating or whatever it is that you're able to do where you are, you are probably never going to. Because if this doesn't get you off your ass, what will? But what I think about is that I don't have a solution here. I think electing people who aren't as beholden to the gun lobby, to the NRA, to to this ancient idea of what the Second Amendment means, I think voting them out of office is a good idea. But I don't think it start, it stops there. There are still more guns than legal adults in the United States of America. And for us right now, we need to admit that there's a problem. Some of the candidates, by the way, are talking about a gun buyback program. Some candidates are talking about an assault weapons ban. Some of them are talking about limiting magazines, etc. Because we can't live in a country. We cannot accept living in a country. There are a lot of things we can't accept. But we have to be clear about how we're communicating that we cannot live in a country that accepts this level of gun violence. It has already gone on too long. Pete Buttigieg, and and I am going to get criticized because I thought on style he was better uh, in the last debate uh, than on substance, but I did like what he was saying. He mentioned in his conversation that his that he grew up with Columbine already already happening. How can you have another generation desensitized to gun violence? How can a baby born this year or next year 
have that as something that's always going to be in his or her life. It's not acceptable. And yet, we have this difficulty of acknowledging how big the problem is. Humans are very bad at this. Acknowledging a big problem. This is why climate change, by the way, gets almost no traction. It's not because we don't know it's bad. It's not because we can't see how hosed we are. It's because we literally can't, as as animals with with you know better than monkey brains, acknowledge that there is something so big that we have to do, so urgent that we have to do it, that none of us individually can achieve. So we just shelve it. And I worry that that's already way too true about the gun control debate. And yet, politicians are trying to pretend that the United States being the only place on the planet where you're this likely to get shot and killed, where you're this likely to ignore the threat of climate change. The Republican Party is the only major party organization on the planet that denies climate change is a problem. We're the only country where we're the only industrialized country where healthcare isn't considered a right. These are unique political problems. They're not intractable. And the idea that we are banging our heads against the wall, trying to figure out how to nibble around the edges is offensive. So let's vote for people and care about people and be interested in people who think a little bit bigger. That's how we get to be safer. I struggle with this because it is so difficult. I remember one of the first days I had pool duty at the White House was the day that Gabby Giffords got shot. I was I was nobody in the White House pool at that point. It was one of the first days I was there. I barely knew where the toilet was. And for me, I didn't leave the building when they gave us what, what, what is called a, a lunch lid. They gave us a, a chance to go out and get a break. I was so scared to leave because I didn't want to screw up. So I just sat, sat there and, and ate a granola bar at, at, at somebody else's desk because I, I didn't have one. And I just, I was looking at the news and I saw on Twitter that something terrible happened in Arizona. And I remember President Obama speaking about it then. Someone that he knew, friend of his, he didn't know if she was going to make it. I went home that night and cried. And I have cried so many times since. And I know that if I were even one inch closer to the violence that I'm talking about, I'm still so far from it. I'm just this much of a smush. Try watching Coco with me. If I were even just one inch closer to the, I, I don't know how I would deal. But just imagining it is unacceptable to me. Conservative politics wins when we are afraid all the time. If you are surrounded in a world that is dangerous, you are more likely to think that you need to bolt up your doors and keep out the enemy. That applies to immigration. That applies to gun control. That applies to almost everything. Tariff wars, everything. A more liberal politics requires trust. It requires hospitality. It requires reaching out and acknowledging that you and I are the same, that we have the same values, that we have the same interests, and surely we can all get behind the idea of staying alive and not getting shot in the head.
Apparently, that's too intractable, too controversial, a political idea. We have to make sure that we drag the Overton window, this conversation about what's possible and what's impossible, back to a place where that isn't out of line. I do not believe in staying angry, but I do believe in getting angry and staying there long enough to make sure people know this will not stand. We won't let it happen. And then waking up the next day and making sure that you are fully committed to every single avenue to changing this situation. Come and have a drink with me at Local 16 the next time you're able to. I promise you I don't yell this much all the time. I want to get to that next step. I really do. I want to get to the part where we talk about the good things. I wish we were talking about space or or research opportunities or the thing transportation. I wish we could have a boring conversation about that again. That's not where we are right now. It is a fight for our literal lives. And I hope that you don't stay angry, but I hope you get angry enough to make that difference. This is At The Table. I'm Jared Rizzi. I want to thank everyone who's part of the staff here at Local 16 tonight. Vince, Natalia, Paul, Mateo. Mateo's at the bar. He's been making sure everyone in this room is and the next room is happy. Uh, Aman Ayub, again, for letting us use this space for this family-style meeting. My great team, Alana Morris, is our assistant producer tonight. And all of you for braving the thunderstorms, physical, literal, metaphorical, and otherwise. To be here. Stay safe. Because we need you. Now let's leave the room of requirement, I guess. I'm Jared Rizzi. At Jared Rizzi, this conversation is on all major podcast platforms. It's also on Patreon. If you think this conversation is valuable and you want to chip in a little bit, please don't be shy. Uh, It helps make things possible like better staff, better equipment, better staff. Uh, better paid staff, I guess I should say. Any paid staff, I guess I should say. Uh, better equipment, uh, some more opportunities here. And if and please, if you are in Washington, D.C. and you want to have a drink with me, I promise we are going to make this a lot of fun. Come on down to Local 16. The conversation we regularly have all over, it's available to everyone, but if uh, there are some special benefits for patrons as well. Again, Jared Rizzi, at Jared Rizzi on Twitter. Thanks to everyone who is able to come out to Local 16 tonight. And stay tuned. There's going to be more at the table as we are proceeding through the next week or so. I've got some really great conversations, some hopeful ones coming up uh, that, that will, I think, make you smile as well. Thanks for coming out.